ESPN, Pinellas Park, W262CP, Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss Nissan. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Folks, the tendency we all have is to exalt certain men, even good men who don't try to be exalted, who don't want to be exalted. But there's a great danger to this because our focus then becomes man rather than the Lord himself. It's true here, it's true in almost every evangelical church that when the man in the pulpit is away, attendance drops and some people complain. It's one thing to respect and appreciate our pastors, but it's quite another to exalt them to a position higher than others in the congregation. Then there is the other extreme, like an elderly lady in our old church in Ohio who often reminded everyone that she considered it her job to keep the pastor humble, and she was good at it. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we come to the conclusion of another message in Pastor Steve's series about the nature of the church from Matthew chapter 16. In that chapter, Peter made his famous declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and Jesus replied that he would build his church on that rock. We've already covered what Jesus meant by that rock, but how is he building his church? One way is that he uses elders, shepherds, and pastors. Let's see what these three words mean in Scripture. Here's Pastor Steve. When we look at the various local churches that are presented either in the book of Acts or in the New Testament letters, we find a definite pattern that emerges about church leadership, which tells us how Christ is building his church. It's a pattern that teaches us how Christ designed the church to be ruled. And the pattern is this. Christ rules his church through a plurality, which means more than one, of godly men who teach his people the word of God. It's really not that complicated. Sometimes these men, and here's what, what people perceive as a complicated mess, but it's not. Sometimes these men are referred to as elders. Other times they're called shepherds, which means pastors. It's the same word. Sometimes they're even known as overseers, which is the exact word for bishops. But understand this. Each of these titles given to a church leader is simply a different name for the same leadership position. They are not three different positions. For example, and let me show you this, and I want you to know this is important. There was a generation in the early days of my ministry at Lakeside that was very well versed in this. This was very dear to my heart. In fact, I almost lost my ministry over this. That's how serious this was. Because when I started teaching about plurality of elders, there were many at Lakeside who, who were opposed to it. And I heard things like, well, too many chefs in the kitchen. Um, you, you just don't get work done. You know the problem with that? And these are silly analogies. Um, nobody is saying we're chefs, that elders are chefs in the kitchen. There, there is only one chef, the Lord Jesus Christ, but you need plenty of waiters. And that's why you don't have one waiter. You have plenty of waiters. That's, that's what leaders are. They're waiters who give out the food from 
the chef. But I heard things like that. This was so dear to me and so important that, that believe me, it almost cost me my ministry. It did cost me friends, but this is something that we built into the fabric of Lakeside, and I want you as this new generation of people who have never really been exposed to this, I want you to understand this, because this is what our church believes, and we believe it with all of our hearts, because the Bible teaches this. It is important. For example, I'd like you to look in Acts chapter 20. This is the concept of plurality of elders, plurality meaning more than one. Now, sometimes people say, well, how many elders do you need in a church? Well, the Bible never says how many. It just means more than one. It just says plurality, multiple elders, a team, a pastoral team of leaders. In a larger church, you'd have more. In a smaller church, you'd have less. Scripture doesn't say, doesn't give us a number. But notice in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, From Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus, called to him, Notice this, plural, the elders of the church. Paul called to himself the elders of the church. That's plural. But as he explained to them his ministry amongst them and what's going to happen in the future, he calls them by another name, actually two names. Notice verse 28. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Be alert. Some things are going to happen. Take care of the church among which the Holy Spirit has made you what? overseers. The elders are now called overseers. In Paul's mind, he is using these terms interchangeably. Elders are overseers. Your translation may say bishops. It's just a different translation. It's the same word. Elders are overseers, but that's not all. Notice verse 28. He goes on to say, to shepherd, he's made you overseers to do what? Shepherd the church of God. Now, shepherd means pastor. Pastor is more related to a Latin word. Shepherd means pastor. So here you understand Paul is saying elders are overseers who are pastors. It's all the same, the same men. And You may wonder, well, maybe that was unique for the church at Ephesus, but we have freedom to do it a different way. Not really. I'd like you to look at Titus chapter 1. I'm telling you, this is a pattern. This is a pattern that when the apostles planted churches, they had this in mind. They understood how Jesus would build his church. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete. So Paul left Titus on the island of Crete. Why? That you would set in order what remains, meaning what remains of developing the churches, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now notice this. In every city that had a church on the islands of Crete, and there in those days there was just one church per city, Paul says, I want each church to have a group of elders who lead them. Every church had a group of elders. But then he begins to to go through a list of qualifications for who should serve as an elder. And he says in verse 7, for the overseer must be above reproach. Paul said the elders are also overseers. You understand that in Paul's mind, he's using these terms interchangeably. Now, the question that we need to ask is, why does the Bible then use three different titles to describe the same exact church leader? Isn't this confusing? Not when you understand the reasoning behind this. Each of these titles gives us 
new insight into the kind of leader Christ wants for his church. You see, the term elder simply means older or mature. We get our word Presbyterian, presbyteros from this. It means older or mature. But don't misunderstand. It's not older in the sense that church leaders must be men who are physically old. After all, Timothy wasn't an old man. He was a young man when Paul sent him and assigned him to Ephesus. In fact, 1 Timothy 4 says, says that some were looking down upon Timothy's youthfulness. And Timothy was, was an apostolic representative over all the elders at that point. See, when the New Testament speaks of men who are elders, it is referring to their spiritual maturity, not their physical age. We would all acknowledge that there are some Christian men who are old physically, but they are still quite immature spiritually. They may have been even saved for years and years, but they just haven't grown that much. They don't evidence a great deal of spiritual seasoning in spite of their advanced years. You don't want men like, like that leading in the church. And there are some Christian men who are relatively young, but they have grown a great deal and they evidence spiritual maturity. So the term elder teaches us that those Christ chooses to rule his church through are men who are spiritually mature, which means, folks, that they have Christian character. They have Christian character. We'll look at this another time, but just understand that. It's all about, when you hear the term elder, it's all about spiritual character. And what about the words overseer and pastor? Why are church leaders identified by these two words? Because while the term elder speaks of a man's character, the words overseer and pastor emphasize the work that is carried on by the elders. They don't say anything about their character. Elder does. But overseer or pastor speaks of the work. The word overseer describes the fact that elders have been given the oversight of the church by Christ as if they are on a ladder looking over the affairs of the church. And the word pastor or shepherd reveals that elders have the responsibility of doing exactly what a physical shepherd does. He feeds and protects the sheep with the word of God. You see, the term and word pastor isn't so much a title for professional clergy. I know we use it that way, but it's not really designed to be a title for professional clergy as it is a function of all those who are elders, because the primary task and function of every elder is to pastor or shepherd the people in the church. And the way that is accomplished, what do shepherds do? They teach the word of God. Now, regardless of what title or word is used to describe church leaders, the New Testament presents three essential truths about these men through whom Christ rules his church. In the time remaining, I want us to look at, at just one of these essential truths. And I want you to know these are absolutes. They're not uh, negotiable. They don't vary from culture to culture. If you plant a church in Asia, it's going to be different than if you plant a church in North America. No, no. These are uh, principles are to remain constant in whatever culture a church is planted by God. Now, the first essential about church leadership is this. According to the pattern that's presented in the New Testament, church leadership is always in a plural form. I mentioned that, but I want to stress it. It is always in a plural form, meaning that each church is to be led by a team of several men and not by a single dominant leader. 
You see this throughout the New Testament. It's not isolated. Let me have you look at Acts chapter 14. This is Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, and they are planting a church, in fact, several churches. Notice how they do this. And if it was what Paul did, then that's the way we ought to do it. Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and made um, many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So first they deal with the congregation, strengthening them. Now look at verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them, in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Before Paul moved on, he made sure that there were certain men who were appointed as elders. I would assume that in the weeks prior to this, these men had demonstrated godliness. They demonstrated the ability to teach. And Paul said, I'm going to acknowledge that you're an elder, you're an elder, you're not, you are in charge of the flock. We already mentioned from Acts chapter 20 that the elders at Ephesus were a plural group of men. We said the same thing in Titus. James chapter 5, verse 14 says that if any amongst you are sick, let him call for whom? The elders of the church. He didn't say call for your pastor. Call for the elders of the church. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, Peter speaks of the elders among you, plural. And And this is important to see, Philippians chapter 1 because you're probably wondering, well, where did deacons fit in? Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to show you. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants or slaves of Christ Jesus, he says, I'm writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So he's writing this letter to the congregation, to the saints, to the believers. But notice, including the overseers, those are the elders, those are the pastors, and deacons. Who who are deacons? Well, deacons are men, and I believe that the scriptures also teach about deaconesses, female deacons, who serve the church by assisting the elders in carrying out various tasks, whatever those tasks might be. It's, It's interesting to me, nobody ever questions whether we should have a plurality of deacons in the church. Nobody ever, I've never heard anybody say we ought to have just one deacon and one deacon alone. But they'll often fight for the thought that you ought to have just one pastor, not a group of pastors. Paul says overseers and deacons. So notice that there was no church mentioned in the days when the New Testament was being written that was led by a single leader or by a majority rule of the congregation, always by a team of men. Now, the question is, why? Most people never ask this, but why? Why did Jesus build his church to be ruled by a group of pastors rather than than one dominant single pastor? I can think of a number of practical reasons, and I think this enters into it. I don't think it's the primary reason, but let me give you some practical and beneficial reasons for having multiple leaders in the church rather than one primary man. The task of shepherding a church is too large for one man can't be done by one man. I don't care how gifted he is. I I don't care if he only sleeps three hours a night. He can't do it alone. You need a team to work with you. Number two, multiple men balance each other's strengths and weaknesses. 
I don't care how godly a man is, he has weaknesses. He has certain strengths. So you have to have a group of men who work together, who balance out each other's strengths and weaknesses. And number three, from a practical standpoint, a plurality of leaders protects the church from having a self-willed leader who dominates the church for his own benefit, has his own agenda. Nobody can dare say anything to him or he'll use the verse, touch not God's anointed. So I think there are some practical reasons for having a team of elders rather than a single pastor. But may I suggest to you, that's not the prime reason. That's not the, the main reason Jesus designed his church this way. Why did he design his church this way? Listen closely. It was to install into his church a constant reminder that he and not any one man in the congregation is to be exalted. He is the head of the church. He's the supreme leader of the church, not a single man. Listen to these words by Alexander Strzok from his book, Biblical Eldership. He writes, the most likely reason for choosing plurality of leadership was that the early Christians knew that Christ was uniquely present with them as head, Lord, pastor, and overseer. This was no theoretical concept to the early Christians. It was reality. In Christ alone was all they needed to to be in full fellowship with God and one another. Christ's person and work was so infinitely great, final, and complete that nothing, even in appearance, was to diminish the centrality of his presence and sufficiency of his people. So in the first century, no Christian would dare take the position or title of head, overseer, pastor, or leader in the church. He writes, we are so accustomed to speaking of the pastor that we do not stop to realize that Scripture does not. Now, he's talking about the early days of the church. Later in church history, this was all placed aside, and men did whatever they wanted to and exalted human beings. See, folks, the tendency we all have is to exalt certain men, even good men who don't try to be exalted, who don't want to be exalted, But there's a great danger to this because our focus then becomes man rather than the Lord himself. And it's true here, it's true in in almost every evangelical church that when, when the man in the pulpit is away, attendance drops. And some people complain. They're overly critical in evaluating the men who, who take his place in, in the pulpit. We, we know that here. We get, we get phone calls. Where is he? Why isn't he in the pulpit? I remember years ago on a Sunday morning, the phone was ringing. I picked up the phone and I heard this lady say, all she said is, uh, is the Jewish pastor speaking today? (laughs) I didn't tell her that I who speak to her am he, but I said yes. And that was good enough for her. She was coming. She was coming. All of that behavior, it's sinful and it's wrong because the New Testament condemns exalting any man condemns. Condemns that Christ didn't build his church to focus on individual human pastors. He built his church to focus on him as the exalted supreme head of the church. He states that throughout the Bible. In in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, after speaking to the elders of the church, he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Everybody else just in leadership is an under-shepherd. Not not much, just an under-shepherd. In Hebrews chapter 13, 
verse 20, the writer says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. That's who Christ is. Everybody else is just, who's in leadership, is just a shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the overseer. He's the great shepherd and pastor of our souls. And the Apostle Paul, did he not strongly rebuke the Corinthians for their attitude of exalting men? He said, some say I'm of Paul, some say I'm of Apollos, some say I'm of, of Peter. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you're still fleshly. Notice that, fleshly. For since there, and he explains, there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? What's Paul? servants through whom you believe, just as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Did you see that? Leaders are nothing. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't appreciate them. It's not to say you shouldn't esteem them. It is to say, don't exalt them. Exalt the Lord, because while the Lord rules through a plurality of elders, he alone is our ultimate ruler, the one that we glorify. Let's bow for prayer. It was King David who said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Is he your shepherd? Is he the one that you look to for spiritual growth? and maturity, or do you look to a man too much, far too much? Christ has built his church so that he alone is to receive glory from his people. Don't exalt those who are just servants. Worship him, praise him, love him, obey him as the sovereign one who has not only brought you to salvation, but will lead you to spiritual maturity. And if you don't yet know him as Lord and Savior, then I I commend him to you. There is no one like Jesus. No one. He's the only one who can save your soul. And so repent and believe the gospel. Father, thank you for teaching us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that there is a pattern in the New Testament about how you are building your church, Lord. We we simply want to be in agreement in, in the way we run things here at Lakeside with your word. I pray our elders would be men who would not be exalted by our congregation, appreciated, loved, but not exalted above you. Lord, may you receive all the glory and the praise. We pray that you'll draw to yourself the elect, that you'll bring them to your son, even this day. And may we, Lord, as a church, follow our our head, our Lord, our exalted ruler in everything we say and do, even, even allowing him to build his church the way his word tells us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Let's review those three essential guidelines for church leadership that Pastor Steve detailed a little while ago. One, the church is to be led by godly men, not by any one man. Two, because no one is perfect, these men balance each other's strengths and weaknesses. Three, and this is the big one, plurality of leadership reminds us that Jesus Christ is the ultimate head of the church. We're glad to have you with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lakeside offers a free CD with this message. It's only a phone call away. The number is 727-239-0306. Ask for message 4223, Nature of the Church, Part 3. That phone number again is 727-239-0306. If you get the answering machine, leave a message, please, with your daytime phone number, and we'll contact you for mailing information. Another free resource is our audio archive, which you can find at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse is listener-supported, so if the Lord is moving you to help us with expenses, check out the Giving tab on our webpage. One other thing you might consider is calling the manager of this radio station and just letting them know how these broadcasts are blessing you. 